Good morning, Grace. Welcome to BroFest 2021. Get it? Because all the women are gone on the retreat. Not all of them, because some of you are here. But as we uh, tried to get the day going this morning, there was a lot of chaos, and I was reminded of those times when Meg would leave and we had small children. Uh, she would leave for a weekend or whatever, and just how hard it was for me to pull everything together. Reminded me of who actually runs the church, who runs the church, the women run the church. And we miss them today. So we have uh, uh, 160 women at a retreat in Maumee Bay, Ohio. I think they're probably just wrapping up and getting ready to head back. Um, but thank you for praying for them. It's been great. Um, I'm going to invite a friend of mine to come up, and he's going to put a bow on a couple of those announcements that you just heard and uh, reemploy. So, Tony has something to share. And he brought thank, some books. Thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, I feel like a little kid uh, who just watched a great movie at 9 a.m. and decided he was going to sneak back in and watch it again. It was so good. Uh, that's how I feel about this service and the man that is going to be introduced in a few minutes. And in fact, I, I know that there are probably a few people that probably really are going to resonate with this message and realize, I didn't bring my wallet today. I don't have $10. Uh, so if that's you, come up after the service and, and we'll buy you a book. Uh, have a book on us. This, this is, you're in for a treat. So there's three right there anyways that are signed. All right. Thank you, Jason. Um, secondly, the two things we're tying together, the men's breakfast. Uh, we obviously uh, have an amazing speaker. Uh, you know him, our youth pastor. And... Uh, what an amazing guy he is. And he's going to talk about taking his walk to the next level. Um, and, and he's been doing that despite the incredible pain he's been in. Sure. Simultaneously to that, we are also going to be involved. The, a number of the men have, have said that they're going to come. And we're going to work from 10 to 12. Uh, right after the breakfast, we're going to go out and serve some people who can't serve themselves. And if you want to, you want to learn to treasure something... Put some time or some money there and spending a couple hours serving some people that are having a hard time serving themselves is a great way to do it. Sure. And men, it's a great thing to bring your children as, as well. So that's what we'll be doing. There's going to be an opportunity from 10 to 12. A lot of the guys from the breakfast will be at that. And then there's another opportunity from 1 to 3 for anybody who can't make that. So breakfast starts at? The breakfast starts at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll queue up and eat from 8 to 8.30, 8.35. Then we have Josh. Uh, Munoz, who will be leading uh, some worship, a couple of guys from this church that you're going to recognize up front, and then an amazing time uh, as we are ministered to in a way that we haven't been ministered to before this fall. So come on out and, uh, and be a part of that breakfast and, and serve if you can too. Thank All you. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. So we have 11 uh, senior sisters who have asked us to come help get their yards ready. Uh, and we just haven't really gotten a big showing of people who are going to show up. I encourage you to come as a family, come as a small group. Men, if you're going to come to the breakfast and stay, stop at the kiosk and tell Anna so that she can know how many we're going to have. But I would even encourage you to have your, your family meet you after the breakfast and go out together and do it together. Great way to serve uh, our community and to serve uh, the, those in our church that just need a little bit of help. Uh, several years ago, through a mutual friend, I had a chance to meet... Uh, our guest speaker, Jason Wilson, um, Mike Tenbush, 
and I have become close friends, Micah's close friends with Jason, and we uh, got a chance through him just to meet and talk, and that started a uh, friendship, and then Jason uh, wrote a book uh, called Cry Like a Man, and if you remember uh, before the pandemic, we had Jason in, and we talked about that book, and that book has uh, become a, a bestseller and taken off in ways that I think Jason probably couldn't even have imagined uh, when he wrote it. it. had a huge impact. I love the book. Uh, it was a great uh, read for me, and when I found out that Jason had written another book, uh, I was excited to read it, and I asked him almost immediately uh, as he uh, got me the book if he would be willing to come back and share a little bit about this book as well. So would you welcome to the stage my friend, Jason Wilson. Thanks for doing this. So, Jason, let's start with just so people don't all know who you are. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about who's Jason Wilson. Tell us about your family, just uh, so they can put it in context. Hi, my name is Jason Wilson. I am a servant of the Most High God, a husband to my beautiful wife, Nicole, and a father to my daughter, Alexis, and little Big J now because he's taller than me. Um, and we, my wife and I serve um, in our ministry called The Union. It's a faith-based nonprofit in Detroit, Michigan, where we've served over 15,000 youth and families since 2003. So what do you do at The Union? Like, what is the ministry of The Union? And then talk a little bit about The Cave as well. Well, the, the union, I wish my wife would come up here, but she handles the day-to-day -day operations of the union. So, we, of course, we offer mentoring, job skills training, trauma-informed care. We also have uh, family counselors, individual counselors as well on staff, social workers as well to help um, with the journey. And then tell us about the Cave a little The bit. Cave of Adullam is a ministry that the Most High gave me um, due to my longing to have a father in my life, and I saw... Uh, when I founded it in 2006, uh, at the time there were a lot of boot camp programs and everyone was so into uh, disciplining boys, like this was the way to help them overcome what they were dealing with. But I quickly discovered that you can't help someone heal from trauma by re-traumatizing them. And so um, as they started waning away, the Cave of Odellum, it was started as a mentoring through martial arts program. But then the Most High said, Jason, I need you to give them a safe space so that they can express really what's going on inside of them so that they can really heal and become comprehensive men. And so the cave is, our mission is to teach, train, and transform uninitiated boys into comprehensive men of the Most High, men who are physically, con physically conscious, mentally astute, and spiritually strong enough to navigate through the pressures of this world without succumbing to their negative emotions. That's awesome. Thank you. So so as I said, Jason's first book, which I highly recommend, Cry Like a Man, uh, came out, read it, it was awesome, and then I heard you were writing a Battle Cry, excited to read it, but I just want you to share why another book, what, what, why Battle Cry, uh, right on the heels of Cry Like a Man, what's, what, what's, what's stirring in you that made you want to write it? I meant to say, uh, during the first service, that I mentioned to you that I'm, I feel led to write another book to follow up Cry Like a Man. And you asked me what type of book it was going to be. I said, I guess something like a self-help book. And you said, you pointed to your, your desk or something. You told me you have tons of self-help books. He says, if one of them worked, I wouldn't need all of the rest of them. And you advised me to continue to be vulnerable and transparent and allow men to see my wins and my losses so that they can really grow. 
And so I wanted to thank you for that publicly. But you were the one, when I say that on these interviews, you were the one who reminded me to not make it prescriptive per se, but to uh, allow my testimony to help men transform their lives. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Cry Like a Man uh, came from my, it's my own journey to break free from emotional incarceration. And a lot of men were blessed and empowered by it. But I started getting emails and messages from men all over the world saying, well, how do I learn how to break free from emotional incarceration? And that's where Battle Cry came from. It's for all the men who are suffering in silence, who desire to yell a battle cry but feel it's useless now. And they're losing the war that's waging or has been waging inside of them for decades. And they're not only losing everything that they've been gifted with, but they're on the verge of taking their own lives. And so that's why I wrote Battle Cry. So it feels like a little bit more of, an, of the application of what you learn and how we can kind of sink into it. And I love the way you bring those disciplines that you've learned into what you're talking about, but you do it through your story and how, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything that I read that you're not practicing and you're not applying, maybe not perfectly. My guess is not perfectly, but, but you're still sinking into these, either, you know, whether you've gleaned them over the last several decades or the last few years, I don't know, but I know that, that you're trying your best to put these into practice and it's making a big difference. So it's I mean, great. I wage the war every day, daily, and I tell men it's no point of arrival. This is something you're going to do until we're resting in eternity. And so yeah. it's very important that I stay transparent with that. So you say in, in chapter three that uh, as men, we need to run towards the battle. We have to run towards it instead of away. Like, what is, what is the battle that we're running towards? Can you, like, describe what is, what is it that we're supposed to be battling? Yeah. Well, typically we run from the real battle, which starts within. I have a lot of kids in the academy where we teach martial arts, and they say, you know, they want to learn how to defend themselves. But I say you can't defend what hasn't been disciplined. And I'm talking about their soul and emotions. So as men, we'll run through a burning building to save a family. We would sure. jump in front of bullets to rescue our own family. But let us have to go inside or introspective inside of us to deal with the emotional pain and the trauma we've experienced, our fear of failure, abandonment issues, et cetera. We shy away from that, and that's where the emotional incarceration comes from. We lock ourselves in this uh, uh, a space that appears to be safe, a mental prison where we confine all of our non-masculine emotions and our heart from the world. And what's deceptive about this mental jail cell, and all of us men who are in here know it, there's no door. We can get up and walk out at any given moment. But because it feels safer inside that we won't be judged, we won't be condemned for just trying to feel outside of being a priest, protector, and provider, we choose to stay within this cell. And unfortunately, uh, the world that is in dire need of the love that we can offer never gets to really experience it. Unpack that a little bit more, because you talk about it quite a bit, this idea of false masculinity or uh, maybe even just way too narrowly defined masculinity. You talk about the priest, protector, provider. Um, wh what, are you, what are you getting after there? Like, what, what is it to be a comprehensive male? Well, first thing, there's no such thing as toxic masculinity. Uh, a man becomes toxic when he only allows himself to live under those attributes. So what I mean by that is the word to its very definition is just a few attributes, such as strength, boldness, and aggression. However, when we as men of God allow this world to define what he created, to only live under those attributes, we become miserable. Because he, he created us to be comprehensive like Christ. 
you know, courageous but also compassionate, strong but sensitive, freely living from the good in our hearts instead of our fears. Typically, you know, when you deal with the rage and the depression and all that we deal with as men, it's resulting from the fear inside of us. Fear is being perceived as milksop or pusillanimous or a failure or the, the, like for me, I would constantly hear the negative things my father would say over to me. Like he, I came to him joyous, joyfully saying, hey dad, I'm about to get married. And he says, why in the world would you want to do that? Because to him, it didn't make sense for a man to just be with one woman at that time. And so this false sense of manhood not only, I guess, damages the way or ruins the, the lives that we're supposed to live, but also those that we, we love in our lives. And so when I discovered that I am more than masculine, that I am also a nurturer, that I'm also compassionate, I started experiencing life more fuller. In my mother, her dementia, that's what drove me there because you would ask, you know, how do you get there? What's the formula? So running towards this war, for many of us, you, when I first, my mother started going through her dementia, I would get upset at first, you know, because I didn't see other people's loved ones there visiting their grandmother or auntie or whomever. But I discovered once I took off my hat of judgment and looked in the mirror, it's not that we don't love them, it's just hard for us to see them in that condition. For sure. And so as men, especially as men, we typically shy away from any situation that makes us feel non-masculine. And so for me, I had to make a choice, either become a comprehensive man or abandon my mother. And I chose one. <clears throat> and that's, that hits me to this day because it was a major sacrifice because everything that I taught I was taught that a man was, wasn't. And so when I allowed myself to be truly used by Yeshua or Jesus, I could now be all things through him because I was more than just a masculine male. I could be a nurturer to my mom before I couldn't. I could be compassionate, long-suffering. I filed her nails, I combed her hair, I massaged her scalp when she was hallucinating to calm her soul. Those things we as men, we have, we can pull upon. But when we're not used to accessing them, we don't even know how to respond when we need to verbally express the hurt and the pain and the non-masculine emotions. So what do we resort to? The anger, the yelling. Right. Right. And so um, that's why it's important to run toward the things that are hurting you so that you can finally heal. Yeah, when we were in worship during the first service, I started to uh, think about the, the, the connection between vulnerability in a healthy relationship. And I was thinking about even in worship, there is a vulnerability to worship unabandoned, to lift your hands and worship in, a, in, in very much a, a sign of surrender, right? It, it's, it's a vulnerability of saying, God, I, I'm going to be vulnerable to you. And God shows up in our worship. But the same is true in our relationships uh, in our home, our relationship with our kids, our relationships at work. Like you're never going to have healthy relationships without vulnerability being a part of it. Why are we so afraid of vulnerability? And why do we run from vulnerability, especially as men? Why is it? I mean, because you get hit, you know. No one wants to get hit. No one wants to get hurt. Uh, the issue is that we're not letting go of the blow, as I teach in our martial arts training, is that, like, if you and I were fighting and you would give me a hard body shot, if I don't let go of that blow in that moment, let go of the emotion tied to the fact that, man, he just hit me. I thought I was fast enough to protect myself. You're now hitting me with three or four other punches because I haven't let go of that. 
It's the same thing with trauma, emotional pain. When we allow our trauma to time travel, we fully can't live in the present. And so that's what happens in relationships, especially with me and my wife. She could be saying something in the moment, and I would think she's saying something negative in the past. And the same thing with me today as her husband. I was so negative on her. Just she could never really do anything right. Mm. And so now I have to guard myself in saying anything that's even constructive because that's a consequence of not being a comprehensive man because you can't always hit someone with the negatives. You're going to subtract all that they have, the joy and the happiness. You're pulling all of that away every time you're tearing them down. And so for me, I had to just learn to, to, to live from what I desired and I desired to have a healthy relationship with my wife. I, I got tired of sleeping in my house depressed while her and my daughter are out at the park. But because, as men, we say, suck it up, right. you know, and hold it up, stay strong, or what doesn't kill you can only make you strong, or do everything in moderation, all these misleading mantras lead to a life of emotional imprisonment where we truly can't experience the life that Christ has given us. And so, Comprehensive manhood is imperative actually to be used by God. So we know, for instance, that it is written that it's only in our weakness that the power of Christ is perfected. Right. But it's almost like a sin for men to even operate in weakness, let alone admit it. So here it is. You're trying to be strong, but you're weak, and you're wondering why your life is falling apart because you're not allowing your vessel to be surrendered to his spirit so that you can be used, so that you can be weak in the moment, so that he can be strong. If he needs you to be compassionate, if you're taught that you're only masculine, you think that's a sign of weakness. But what if Christ needs you to go to a homeless shelter and take care of someone? You know, we've been lied to, the culture as a whole. And uh, one thing that was alarming I wrote about, well, it was an epiphany I wrote about in Battle Cry, when Kobe Bryant and the, his daughter and nine others died in a, a tragic helicopter crash, pictures started surfacing of Kobe Bryant, not as the warrior we know him to be on a basketball court, but the nurturer he was as a father. You started seeing pictures of him caressing his daughters, loving them, kissing them. Then all of a sudden, what happened? The hashtag girl dad went viral, and then millions of men across the world started sharing pictures of themselves as nurturers. Again, uh, Christ said it the best. They, the people do not believe because they don't see signs and wonders. As long as we see masculine males, this world would never experience the power of a comprehensive man. That's cool. So one of the things you write in the book is that the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your emotions. Unpack that one just a little bit for us. Um, for me, the main scripture, and I'm going to use myself as always first, is uh, as a man thinks, so is he. And for so long, uh, all of my emotions were negative. My thoughts became toxic, and then my actions were very volatile. I felt I was a, had no purpose. I was a loser. My father, how can you, uh, how can I come from a man who doesn't really want to be around me? And then the trauma of losing two brothers to homicide, I remember I didn't think I would ever live past 30 years old. When I turned 30, my wife didn't even know this. I just drove around just like, wow, it was a big sigh of relief. So imagine carrying all of those negative and toxic thoughts your entire life. You're never good enough. And I was telling one young man out here, I signed a book for him. I said, when you stand in the mirror, the first thing we do, we look at what we lack. 
instead of the good that we do have. Right. As men, we always trying to improve. And even to the women, you know, uh, I, one young lady who works at the gym where I go, and she, wear, she doesn't wear makeup at all. And I, I complimented her on that, and she says, wow, you're the first man to ever do that. I said, yes, because as a society, I tell men when I do workshops, could you imagine every morning you have to put on something on your face to be looked at this world a certain way? Could you, could you imagine that as a man? And so that's why I wrote the chapter, chapter eight, uh, Sexual Self-Control, because a masculine male only views women as an object. For sure. So when you become a comprehensive man, you start, in a, you start to see them for what they really were created, and they were more than the helper. So when you look up the Hebrew word for helper is azer, which also means shield and buffer. But unfortunately, many of us as men, we look at our wives as subservient, and we're missing the blessing of a woman actually shielding us from the arrows and everything else that's coming at us because we're not really treating her as an equal. And so that's why, to me, it's imperative that we work through our own wounds so we stop wounding others. Amen. So one of the things we talked about uh, before the first service, uh, I feel like uh, we have uh, our own epidemic of toxic relationships within the church and I meet with people constantly and uh, whether it's a parent-child relationship or marriage relationship and the common factor that I see is the inability to deal with conflict. Conflict is going to be a part of your relationships regardless whether it's at work or whether it's with your kids or whether it's your spouse. There's a, a book out, the, the guy that wrote the book says that 70% of all of our uh, conflict in our marriage will never be solved. So if uh, Jason is... You hear that, Nicole? Yeah. <laughs> so if Jason is consistently late and Nicole is consistently early... It's opposite. So. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, like I said, never going to be solved. Chances are that's gonna never going to be completely that, It's not always. It's not always her. It's just there are things about who we are. And so the value of knowing that, right? So when I work with couples is once you know that, well... We're not going to solve everything. We're not going to eliminate the... You will not... Listen, people. You will not eliminate the conflict in your relationship. Some of it, for sure, but not all of it. Whether Again, doesn't matter. Work, parent. But, so you better develop some skills to journey together through the conflict. And what I see is we don't. We have... There's such a... We tend to respond to each other with such a toxic, uh, combative angry, all of that. So talk about that a little bit. Because you even, I, I've just lost the name. What do you call it? Uh, sorry, courageous transparency? No, that's not what I'm looking for. What do you call it? How do we do this conflict well? Man, that's a, that's loaded. Like you just, you try to simplify it I'm not trying to pick a fight between end, you and your wife. You guys so are going to get in the car. No, I'm not late. You I, are. I, I'm hearing, as you were saying this, I, you know, in 2015, we were on the verge of separating. We just couldn't get along. No infidelity, no gambling issues, nothing. Just 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 constant friction and tearing down of each other. And we discovered through a Christian psychotherapist, Dr. Tim Bro, that we were what he called trigger happy and we were shooting each other with the guns of our past, there you go. not really the present. So it was so much unresolved that had happened that we didn't do to each other, but that we remembered and we still lived from. 
And, and as you were saying this, I'm thinking on my wife, and you talked about 70% of the conflicts that happen we won't get over or, whatever, or resolve. I remember she said to me, she said, um, no matter what, we're not going to give up. We're not going to leave each other. That's the place to start. And so when you, when you can get to that place, because I remember we, she slept on the couch and I slept in the bedroom, and I'm laying in the bed and the Holy Spirit is like, make a decision. Like Joshua said, choose ye this day who you're going to serve. As far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In that moment, I looked at my life without my wife, and it really wasn't one. And so I got up, and I picked her up off the couch, and the Holy Spirit says, every time you think of giving up, I want you to say, I can't live without you. And as a result of that, I keep a picture of her in my phone. I wish I had it with me. Um, when she was, I think, eight, I believe. And this was a time in Nicole's life where she wasn't confident. She didn't feel good enough. And so I look at this picture often to make sure uh, I'm tending to her emotionally because as men, we identify ourselves from what we do. That's why it's hard for us to rest. You know, our wives come home, we're taking a nap, we're jumping up, acting like we're productive. It's, it's, I mean, I thought I was the only one, but clearly I'm not, all right? And, and what's crazy is... And once your relationship gets better, you just sleep. <laughs> but, yeah, but when I found out and when we, I surveyed women as well online, they want us to rest. But as long as our worth is in our work, we'll never find our true value. And our wives won't and our children will not know what's happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm choking up because I see a woman wiping her tears because they don't want us to live the way we're living. And uh, they typically don't know what's going on until they're planning our funerals. They don't know what we were dealing with. I remember I, I was on a breakfast club, and I, uh, Charlamagne asked me, you know, he said, Jason, you said when a man is tired or a strong man is tired, listen. And a lady had commented, she said, four years ago, my husband, no, four days before my husband committed suicide, he said he was tired. I wish I would have listened. And so as men, when we hold up this, what is false is this definition this world has, we allowed this world to define us as superheroes, uh, impervious to feeling weak, uh, tired, hurtful, any of these, or sorrow. When we hold that up, what happens when we are human and feel weak? Now what do we say to each other? You ain't no man. You a punk. Look at you. You a coward. All because you're just being human. Here it is, David, the greatest warrior in the Bible, so much of an influence that Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, calls himself the son of David and came through his lineage. He cried a lot. He shared his fears. But he was comprehensive. He knew when to let the lion out, but he knew how to live in the lamb. And that's what we need to do as men. We live from the lion which we need to understand this assertive beast that comes out, we can't stay in that mode. That's called fight or flight response. That's the brain's response to acute stress or trauma. When you study the lion, he sleeps almost 18 hours a day. He doesn't become this beast that we think is comprehensive manhood until what? A predator comes around, until it's time for this lion to arise. This lion doesn't arise at marital conflict. This lion doesn't come up when your son uh, uh, stays on his phone too long. And so I had to learn, like, please, Jesus, teach me how to live 
from the good in my heart. And when I allowed that to happen, the only way that can happen is by being vulnerable. Again, no one likes to get hit, but if you study martial arts, when you allow something to appear open, you can actually set up the opponent that's trying to attack you. So at the same time with my wife, if we're in an argument, I'm, I'm practicing what I write about combat communication. You'll see it in boxing matches where I throw a jab and you'll move or I just feign a kick just to see your response. With my wife, if she's upset, I'm, I'm watching her eyes, I'm looking at her body language, I'm trying, to, I'm downloading everything. If I respond this way, this is gonna happen. If, if I allow this to happen, that's gonna happen. I choose to take the role of the lamb in those situations because now I can understand her heart. I can be tender and hear her. She is no threat to me, so why on earth would I draw upon the lion in that moment? So I want to love her, I want to be tender, and what's amazing is when that happens, our wives can drop their guards and welcome us into their hearts as we welcome them into ours. One of the things that comes out in both of the books is uh, this idea of emotional incarceration, which I call emo emotional constipation, but incarceration might be a better way to say it. We backed up, though. Yeah, we, we are definitely backed, backed up. up. We backed up. Um, but the idea behind that, and I love the way you get after it in the book, you have this thing called the feeling wheel, um, which you can just Google that and you can come up with it. But I found it fascinating even to look at it. But the idea that we have a pretty limited, as men typically, a very limited uh, display of emotions or even awareness of our emotions. And I say this to you guys all the time, this idea of listening to yourself talk, of understanding self-awareness is important. But the, the, the problem is we're often responding and we don't even know the true emotion that we're responding to. And I said it in the first service, but for me, when I feel the most conflict with Meg is anytime I feel like I'm failing, right? And she's not even saying I'm failing, but I, but it, so then I, that, that feeling of I'm failing turns into anger or it turns into that fight or flight mode, usually fight in my case, because that's my, my way of dealing with conflict. So um, I love that. Talk a little bit about that, that feeling wheel, how it plays out, and just the, the, the idea of breaking this, this idea of emotional incarceration. Mm. Yeah, so the feeling wheel is created by a psychiatrist named Gloria Wilcox. Every man in here should Google it and just screenshot it or save the image to your phone. And what it, it does, it allows you to see the gamut of emotions that exist juxtaposed to the few we only allow ourselves to express. Uh, matter of fact, I had a coaching call it was about 50 or 60 men on there, and it was so funny. He says, I get it now. I said, well, good. I said, what do you get? He says, we're like the six box, six crayons, box of crayons. And what is it? Six crayons in a box versus the 64. Women have the 64 crayons, and we as men only allow ourselves to color with six. So we really can't express the gamut of emotions. And I'm yeah, like, why because, this? because fear isn't manly. Yeah, yeah. Or so that's we, we're going to stick to black, brown, red, and blue, maybe. And that's it. But to go to peach and all, all these other colors that allow us to be comp comprehensive, we shy away from that. So you're talking about the fear of failure or uh, just not living up to what this world says a man is. If you're not open enough to, to fail publicly, you're going to front your whole life away. Right. So for me, I don't mind making mistakes. Mistakes are our best teachers. The worst mistake is the one we didn't learn from. With my wife, and you're talking about uh, the fear or 
feeling like you're not doing something or not living up to what this expectation we have in our own head. Uh, as I shared earlier, I remember as men, I felt I wasn't spending enough time with my son. And I started timing how many minutes I was spending with him a day. And it was like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And that wasn't a lot. And I, I was sharing with my wife. I said, man, I really need to spend more time with little Jay. So here it is, my you wife. You calling him little Jay now. Well, he's a little big Jay. Well, at the time, he little was little Jay. Jay. And she said, uh, I, I, can't, I wish that you would long for, spend time with me the way you do with him. So because I wasn't comprehensive at the time, I didn't know how to access the emotions that I really was feeling and then to verbally process them without losing control, all I heard was something else that I wasn't doing right. But really, my wife was just saying, Man, that's beautiful, but I would, I would want you to long for me the same way. What's wrong with that? But because, again, I was only a masculine male, I, I show you my love, is the lights on, and I got food in the house. Man, that's what our fathers did. And that's another thing we have to let go of, is the way our parents parent us was not the formula. It just wasn't. They were just trying to figure this stuff out. It's even written in Hebrews that the fathers disciplined us the best that they knew how. But the father's discipline is comprehensive. Before I knew it, knew it, I had hit the refrigerator because all I knew how to express was anger. But what had happened was I was hurt. My wife, right in front of me, I saw her spirit just deteriorate. And in that very moment, I said, I lost it. And then God said very clear, he says, you must learn how to rule your emotions. If not, you're going to lose everything that you have. And he took me to Cain and Abel. Right before Cain was about to kill Abel, he said, sin is crouching at your doorstep, but you must rule it or master it. When you look at the word sin, and its simple definition in the scriptures is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. When you dig a little deeper, it talks about our desires is what leads us to sin. So then you go a little deeper, you look at David when he says, I wean my soul like a mother weans her child from her breast. Weaned is my soul within me. So in other words, he compares the soul, the seed of our emotions to a child, spoiled, want what it wants, when it wants. You can't have that, you can't be soulish in a marriage. You have to rule your soul so that you can walk and love by the spirit in your marriage. Mm -hmm. So now when there is conflict with my wife and I, and she's right there, she raise your hand if I'm lying. <laughs> well, don't raise you you supposed to no, no, just saying if, if you're lying. All right, yeah. <laughs> cool. you want to go down. <laughs> but I I tell her it hurts me. You know, I, I, I was I felt like a fa a failure to my father in his eyes. I don't want to fail you. I'm trying my best with the finances. I'm trying to do this. Why do you feel this way? Now my wife hears something different than yelling and anger. She now is going to draw upon her nurturing, her caring, and then express how she feels. When she tells me it hurts the way I do this and that, it destroys me. But if she's yelling at me, now I got my guard up. Now it becomes a match. Right. And so the conflict arises when we don't know how to really express the true emotion that really sparked it. For sure. And so, and then another issue you talked about, um, everyone expecting this life to be easy. And it's amazing how those of us in the body of Christ, we think the cross that he's referring to that we should carry is a necklace. 
and it's not. It's something heavy. It's a sacrifice. That's why I tell people, they say, why don't you wear a cross? I say, I don't need to wear one because I carry one. And, And so when you understand that when James says, consider it joy, when you face tests and trials of many kind, consider it joy. So you have everyone in here has something they're dealing with right now. Like right now, your mind is hearing me and Pastor Doug, but then you're thinking on something else that needs to be addressed in your life. That something run to, like David ran to Goliath. He didn't walk to Goliath. The Bible says he grabbed his stones and his rod and ran towards him. That was the greatest threat to Israel at that time. And it's so deep, Doug, that whole scenario, men were so, I guess, overwhelmed with their fears that they let a boy go fight a man's fight. And so that's what we need to do as men, have that boyish type faith. What happened to us that took that away from us, that's what we deal with. And then we start living from that desire that we long for more so than what we lacked. Yeah, one of the things I journaled about as I was reading your book is uh, the life of Saul. And I was just, just very aware of how much Saul was paralyzed by fear Fear of failure and fear of what people thought about him. And both of those fears drove almost every single one of his bad decisions, maybe every one of his bad decisions. And so this idea of, of not, and not even being able to express it, and, I'm, and I, I suppose if you were to ask Saul at the time, I don't think he could have articulated that, nor did he. When Samuel shows up, he doesn't say, well, you know, actually he does say, I was afraid that people were going to lose heart and what he was afraid of is being a failure. So I thought about him a lot. Um, we're backing up against the time. I want to make sure, just to remind you, we just came off of eight weeks of studying Philippians. If you read Jason's book, Battle Cry, and just think about the things that we've learned over the last eight weeks, uh, I wrote tons of notes in the margin of the book. Uh, this reminds me of this Philippians passage, this Philippians, right? What did we talk about? Consider the views of others above your own. Consider the needs of others above your own. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who was comprehensive in the way he dealt with us and comprehensive in the way he dealt with life. So there's just all of this beauty of, um, I don't know that I knew this, I told Jason this this morning, but uh, inviting him to come speak now, uh, I didn't really think of it as a way of cap, putting a capstone on the relationship series, but it certainly is. So I encourage you uh, to get the book. We're selling them at the counter back here. We're selling them for $10 if you buy them online. I think Jason told me they were $16. Yes. So great savings. We're just uh, funding the difference. If you uh, can't afford a book, let us know. We'll figure out how to get one in your hand. I think we only have about 110 books left, but you can buy a book at the information counter. Jason's also going to sign books uh, right around the corner. You'll see him at the table there for a little while. Um, I would just ask you... Uh, don't drag him into long conversations between each book signing because he does have a family here and they'll be here until three o'clock in the afternoon. If so, just be get your book signed and say thank you. Okay. And I love. I mean, you're joking, but you're serious. I love it. But also, um, I pray for a few people. Yeah, for sure. As well, and, I saw and, that. Uh, and you know, this is real for me, as you know, as my friend. Um, what's crazy is Mike introduced us, and I don't even talk to Mike as much as I talk to you now, but. Um, I am a servant, and I, I pray with my wife this morning that I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. Sure. So I appreciate that. However, if your heart is heavy and you need someone to pray with or whatever, I, I, that's all I am. I'm just uh, a servant of him, so more Amen. so than anything else. So don't feel uh, 
bad about talking to me, and this is just my friend just looking out for a family because he's a pastor, and you know, and I appreciate that, but however, I still want to be All right, so, obedient. So the happy medium between what I said and it, what There you said. go. Whatever that Whatever is. Whatever that medium is. Let's do that. Yeah, yes. yeah. Don't start with when I was three years old. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to pray for Jason. I'm going to pray for his family, and then we're going to let him sneak out, and then I'll wrap the service up. Lord, thank you so much uh, for my friend. Thank you for uh, the ministry that you have entrusted to him. May he never forget that this is a gift uh, from the Most High, that every time he gets to speak, every time he gets to sign a book, every time somebody reads his book, that it's a gift from the Holy Spirit. I pray that he would be a good steward with the gifts that you've given him, that he would continue to just be a part of the advancement of your kingdom here in Detroit and, and around the world. It's amazing uh, just the way you have opened up uh, so many avenues for impact for Jason. I pray that you would protect him. I pray that you would protect his marriage. I pray that you would help him to continue to grow more and more as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a nonprofit leader, um, as a coach to young men, as a father figure to young men. I pray that he would never settle for where he is and continue to grow more and more as a comprehensive male. Help him to be who you've called him to be and help him to impact the world the way you want him to impact the world. But thank you for his friendship. Thank you for his books and his writings. And we just uh, pray a blessing over Jason in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. Let's thank Jason. Thank you. Hey, one of the things Jason just said to me in my ear was the value of forgiveness, or said a different way, the, the curse of unforgiveness. And um, when he said that, uh, that we were trigger happy, that's, that's unforgiveness, and that's a big part of it. So some of this, again, forgive as you being forgiven. We've talked about it a ton as we've walked through Philippians, so make sure you lean into that. Hey, we prayed for you before the service started, and you know, I think it's always fascinating that people go into a room before they hear the message and listen to the Holy Spirit, and this is what they heard, that there is a need for healing from fear. Isn't that a coincidence? That's uh, paralyzing some people in the room. We would love to pray for that. And there's an invitation for you to have unity. And I think uh, in my heart, I think that's probably family unity where we have some real discourse. So we have people that will meet you down here and pray with you. If you call the number on the screen right there on the bottom, if you're online, you call that number, they'll put you in with somebody who can pray with you, who's been trained. It'll be a private uh, prayer appointment, so you won't be with a whole bunch of people, but we would love to pray for you and pray with you. Again, books are facility, information counter. Jason is signing books right over here, and uh, thank you for being a part of Grace. We will see you next week.